Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. See you all this morning. My name is Gabe Phillips and I get to be a pastor in this amazing Life Changes church story. I'm also a husband of the beautiful Fiona who will appear behind me right now. Bam! Look at that. Good teamwork. Right? Good teamwork there. And uh, that's, uh, we've got a little girl called Olivia Grace, who's two and a half. And then uh, we've got the little man at the foot of that picture, uh, Benjamin Asher Phillips, who's now four months old. And that is the last time he was sleeping. That photo, right there. God bless him and all the parents who have young babies. Wonderful to be together this morning. If you are wondering why I, um, you think, is this Mark Van Petson? He's lost weight. He's got good looking. No, I'm not Mark. I'm not Mark. It's Gabe Phillips. Mark is at the moment at our Milton congregation. He's been preaching and leading worship there this morning. So if you're unaware, we are a church that meets in two locations at the moment, Tableview with multiple meetings here on a Sunday. And then we've got a Milton congregation. But also in the summer of 2019-2020, we are launching a church in the city as well, Life Change City, which is very exciting. Yeah, come on. And we, if you're unaware, we've got an amazing crew of, of people who've been gathering together and forming an incredible core team as we prepare to launch and see God do incredible things in our city. So thank you for partnering with us, supporting, praying, cheering us on at what God is doing with us as a life changes people. Lovely to be a church family with you. This morning, we are landing our How to Build a Nation series. If you've missed it, I want to encourage you to go onto our website, catch up on some of the weeks you've missed. They've been, uh, I think, really key moments for us as we navigate our way forward as, a, as individuals and as a community of believers on how we are supposed to respond at this time and this stage of our history as a city, as a nation, and actually as human beings in, in, in the world at the moment. There are a lot of challenges going on, and we're trying to say, how do we respond as the local church? And so that's been the, the premise of the series. But I want to land this moment, this conversation we have this morning, by taking us back uh, 80 years. We're not going to start in the present day. We're going to rewind the story. 80 years. Some of you history buffs are leaning in, so just stick with me here. But 80 years ago was at the zenith of World War II, 1941 to be exact, all the way through to 1944, because there was a time, a, a moment where Hitler's Nazi, Nazi regime, the Third Reich, were moving across the Eastern European front, and they got all the way to the Russian border, and they went all the way up to Leningrad, which is what is known as present-day St. Petersburg. And for three years, just after three years, 880 days, they surrounded the city of Leningrad in what has become known as the Siege of Leningrad. As they, they surrounded and closed ranks around the city, burning the neighboring villages around it on their way to Leningrad, and then cornering them in, as Hitler called it, like, like rats in the sewer, because they knew that if they could get Leningrad to fall, then Moscow was just a stone's throw away, and the rest of the world would follow suit. And the, the, the Third Reich regime seemed like it was just gaining impetus in this moment. But Leningrad, being such a key and pivotal city at that moment, became this the, uh, blockade where as the, the Nazis gathered around it. And, and they, they stopped trade coming in and out. And, and as the years rolled on, the harsh Russian winters became a reality. And the death toll mounted and mounted due to war, due to famine, due to the winters. And the, the death toll ended at the end of this, the siege of up to 1.6 million. It was a conservative figure, they said, of people who lost their lives in the siege of Leningrad. The headlines of the world at that time were headlines of doom and despair and death as, as people were throwing their hands up going, what, what, how are we going to put a stop to Hitler? How are we going to put a stop to this? How are the Leningrad people going to ever have a future? 880 days has ground the city to a halt. The nation is dying off. What is going to happen to the future of Russia? And these were the headlines of despair at that time. 
a story that's not uh, often told, it doesn't get a lot of airplay, is that actually at, during that moment, there was a science institution called the Vavilov Institute, which was made up of a whole bunch of scientists who had given their lives to look after seeds and plant crops that were supposed to be stewarded and then grown and, and experimented on then to supply the food for the future of the Russian nation. So what these amazing scientists, nine of them to be exact, when they heard that the Third Reich had arrived on their doorstep, they closed ranks, they shut the doors of the Vavilov Institute, locking it from the inside out, and they set up camp inside this, the building. And for the next 880 days, they didn't think it would go on that long, but for 880 days, they stayed underground, preserving the seeds and the plant crops, waiting for that, knowing the day when the, the doors open, we'll be able to feed the nation on the back of this war. A profound story, because actually all nine of them, they actually ended up having a buddy system in place, because they did not trust each other with their growing hunger pains to be alone with the seeds. Because they thought if we, if we left alone, we'll end up eating the seeds and hijacking the future of the nation. So these incredible men gave their lives, and actually one by one, they died off of starvation, one at a writing desk, one trying to get gasp a little bit of air, last bit of air from the, from the, the, the ventilation going up into the, the outside world. But nine scientists gave their lives preserving the food that would look after the future of the nation. It's an incredible story that actually, as this happened and as the, the, that moment happened, the, the stats tell us that from that room, the nation was fed for generations to come. Profound, profound story because actually when we understand that moment, above ground, political powers and empires from both sides were the Red Army and, the, and Hitler's Nazi regime they, and all the other onlookers, the Allied forces were all looking in and they thought the headline was held by Nazi Germany or the headline was held by the American people who'd come in one day and save the, the war or the headline was held by somebody else. But actually the headlines that were determining the future of the nation were not above ground but were happening underground with our nine scientists profound story that we have to understand because I think with, with all authority in this moment, I want to preach to our hearts that can be so fickle at times, but to remind you that the future of this nation is not held in a politician's hand. I want to tell you the future of this nation is not held in the economy. It's not held in big business. It's not held in foreign investment. The future of this nation, I believe it with every fiber in my being, is held by the church. And when I say the church, I'm not meaning some big brand name church. I'm meaning the individual called out ones, the people of God, you and I. I believe it. I believe it. So much so that actually it's not a stretch for me to say at this moment that we are convinced as a leadership. Why do we preach with such passion every week when sometimes it may seem like at a headline level, what really is going on here? I want to tell you at an underground level, we believe that we are leading a people who are called to lead this nation. We are convinced and I pray that this morning as we preach in this moment that you'll start to get convinced in your heart that you're not here just making up the numbers. But I really believe that this moment is an invitation for you to join something that I'm branding, the underground resistance. Come on. It just sounds exciting already. Even if you're like, just like dragged to church, you could have come to church today or you've come to the underground resistance. So let's team this thing together this morning. Why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say to them, welcome to the underground resistance. I'm definitely starting a punk band with that name as well. It's, it's, it's a, it's a no-brainer. But as we look at the narrative of, of, of the world, of church history, and of Scripture, the simplicity of the fact is that there's always been two narratives conversely at play. Or better put, there's always been two preachers at war for the hearts of men and women. If we take the story of Leningrad, 
We see that there was the one preacher, the one narrative of despair and destruction and doom above ground. But underground, there was a second narrative at play that was determining the future of the nation. In, 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 the, in the scriptures, you don't have to go far. To, you stumble on page one, Genesis one. You have the introduction of the first preacher, namely God, who declares over humanity blessing and hope and future, saying, I want to use you. I want you to, you to rule and subdue and have dominion over the earth. Page one of the Bible is not of a God holding back from humanity. It's of a God giving everything to humanity. Not a tight-fisted, angry God. He's a God leaning in close. The first preacher declaring life and future for humanity. But then you just turn one page over and you see the introduction of the second preacher whose initial, initial salvo is, did God really say? And calls into doubt the narrative that God has placed into, into play. And from, the, from that moment onwards, the battle for the human, human's heart and for, for our future has been at play, but the two narratives working conversely next to each other, the one of the first preacher and that of the second preacher. It's, it's also aptly shown, I grew up in Zimbabwe, and in 2003, at the, at the zenith of, of what was going on in Zimbabwe, the political scheme of things with, with a bit of chaos going on there with the, the economy nosediving and, and lots of other agendas at play, there was a lot of fear and anxiety in the nation. But what was weird was if you went to the corner, you picked up the Herald, which was the state-owned newspaper, the ZANU-PF political propaganda machine that pumped out good news, morning news and night, morning, noon and night, no matter what was going on. You would think we lived in the utopia of all utopias. Nothing ever of devastation would make the headlines. And it was such a weird dichotomy to see the actual, actual the, some, nothing could be further from the truth than what was being presented in the news. And I want to say that actually sometimes we can get seduced by the propaganda of the enemy. The propaganda of what the second preacher, what Satan is saying, and the currency he's putting in the air of fear and doubt, when actually we're called to hold on to something at a deeper level, an underground level, that there's a truth that God has spoken and that we cannot be shaken by. So this morning, in the, uh, to the underground resistance, I want to tell you that the voice that you listen to will determine the future you walk into. It's so good I need to say it again. The voice that you and I listen to will determine the future we walk into. So with that as a backdrop, let's read some scripture. It's going to be in the book of Jonah. We, we worked through this a couple weeks ago, but I want to help us just with the first three verses today. Jonah chapter 1 says this, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Let's pray. Fathers, we gather this morning around your word as your people, as the underground resistance. I know there are a lot of headlines at play in our lives, headlines that are, are determining our, 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 our emotions, our state of being, headlines about the week to come, headlines about what happened yesterday, headlines about relationships, about finances, about the economy. There's headlines that are determining our, our existence right now, but I thank you, Jesus, that at an underground level, you're doing far more than meets the eye, that you are here in this room already working on hearts. You're here in this room already setting captives free. Father God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you are doing. And ultimately, hearts to respond and align ourselves with what the first preacher declares. On the back of that, Father, I do also declare, though the Springboks lost to the All Blacks two weeks ago, I declare the first preacher says we will win the World Cup. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I just felt like prophesying for a moment there. Is that all right? I'm just joking, guys. All relax, relax. Sunday morning. Good to be together. This morning, very briefly, two points from this text of how of the voices that we listen to that will determine the future we walk into. I want to ask you, are you listening to the voice of faith or the voice of fear? The voice of faith or the voice of fear? There's two narratives that play in our nation right now. And there's always been two narratives at play. If we look at the book of Jonah, we see the initial words out of God's mouth to, to Jonah, the son of Amittai. He says, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh because its wickedness and rebellion have come up before me. Two narratives. I want to tell you, the wickedness and rebellion, God was not denying its wickedness and rebellion. He wasn't saying that there wasn't wickedness and rebellion. He said, actually, it is so, they're so wicked and rebellious as move me, but I'm sending you to something I call that great city. God knew its pain. He knew the problems. But he says, I still see its potential. It's like quite a profound thing in that moment that actually God, Jonah calls God to run to Nineveh's potential by calling him to run to its pain. Now, this is deep, so just stick with me. I'm not often very deep, so let's stay there when, for the two seconds I, I get deep. Is that I actually honestly believe that often our greatest potential as individuals and as community is often linked to our greatest pain. Our greatest potential is often linked to our greatest pain. Why? Because in that moment, we have an opportunity for God to show off His greatest grace. Very, very simply, the nation of South Africa, our greatest potential, laid in the era of our greatest pain, of racial discord, and God, but God starts to rework it. Why does the world look at the rainbow nation with hope? Because actually, from the place of pain, God says, I've got a potential. And He still sees that. He still calls that to that. And actually, that's in our lives as well. But the story I tell you gets, in, in a nutshell, the beginning of it is God says to Jonah, Jonah, go, and Jonah responds, No. Simple dialogue between God and Jonah in that moment. Go, Jonah says no. And actually, no, he doesn't just say no. He runs in the opposite direction. At the, the, the intersection of the two narratives, God's narrative for his future and the future of the Ninevites or the, or the enemy's future for Jonah and the Ninevites, at that intersection, Jonah had a choice and Jonah chose to, ally, chose to align himself with the voice of fear and run the opposite direction. But we have to just trace our way back a little bit. The line that starts off this whole segment that we're looking at this morning starts off by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, this is huge for us because I help, have to help us in this developing an, a language and response system of faith is that faith responds only to the word of God. I'll help us. If you look at the screen behind us, there's three absolutes about faith. Number one, I want to tell you, faith only comes by the Word of God. Faith only comes by the Word of God. Why, why are we a people who always will push us to the Word of God? Is it just a Christian thing we do that actually it's a ob moral obligation? Let's get the Word of God into the people. No, we really believe that faith only comes by hearing from the Word of God. If we don't have the Word of God as our foundation and as our backbone, then we only rely on hope and false buoyancy. And then we have to keep geeing ourselves up and keep sending each other encouraging Facebook memes to keep our hopes up. But that stuff never satisfies at an underground level when the enemy comes and takes us out at the knees. But that's when faith kicks in. So I want to ask you, what, what is backing your faith? Do you have the basis of the Word of God, a promise from God, what God has spoken? Secondly, faith only alone comes, faith alone pleases God. Hebrews 11 says that it is impossible to please God without faith. 
We can have all the strategies. We can have all the, the, we have the right answers for the right solutions for the nation, for your family. But without an underpinning of faith, it's worthless before Him. Thirdly and finally, it says that so faith activates the Word of God. This one, this one gets me every time. Is that in Hebrews 4, we, we, we're told about what the Word of God does. The Word of God is, is alive and active, and it divides between soul and, and body. It divides our hearts and our motives. The Word of God created the world. By the Word of His mouth, the world obeyed and came into being. God said, let there be, and there was. That's the power of His Word. He spoke into nothing, and nothing obeyed and came to life. And the Bible even goes on and says about that the, the world that was created by His Word is sustained by the Word of His power. That actually everything that happens is held together by His Word, that, he, that it never returns to void, that it always sets out what it sets it out to do. It always accomplishes. The Word of God, the most powerful force from God's side, from heaven's agenda, the Word of God, which is stewarded and is ultimate, at the beginning and at the end of the Scriptures, the Word of God, which is utmost. Hebrews 4 tells us that the Word of God had no value to the Israelites, because they did not mix it with faith. Oh, imagine we are being those sort of people who have the Word of God on our sides, the, the unfailing, un, infallible, the perfect Word of God, and we don't mix it with faith. See, what I'm saying here is that faith is us partnering with the voice of God. In essence, faith is us partnering with the first preacher, the, 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 the godly narrative that's got at play. Faith is us partnering with what God says. So here's my thesis this morning, is if that's what faith does, and there's only two preachers, fear is us partnering with the second preacher. We, we, I don't want to muddy words here, but fear, when we allow ourselves to our decision-making in our hearts to be dictated by fear and anxiety and worry and allow that narrative to become the narrative that's playing in our lives, we are partnering with the demonic. Some of you are like, oh, here we go. How do I get, where do I get this? Well, the Bible calls it that. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. It calls, it says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. Fear is not just an emotion. It's not an after emotion that we can respond to a situation with. I was nervous, so I responded in fear. No, you had a choice in that moment to partner with the first preacher or the second preacher. And when you partner in fear, we are giving access to the second preacher. The spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. Oh, I say this again, that actually in this moment, I want to take this away from our hearts, that there's no neutral ground in the kingdom of God. You're either a person who operates in faith or you operate in fear. There's no neutral ground. So many people say, you know, I'm not passionate and zealous for God. I'm not like thriving for God. But you know, I'm not like way off the wagon on this side. Well, you don't have that option in the kingdom of God. Choose today whom you should serve. Today I said before you, life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life. He says, if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out, your out of my mouth. This is not a God of, of gray areas. This is a God of absolutes. Are you with me or against me? And, and I've, I've been watching documentaries recently because that's what you do when you become a father of two. And I've been watching documentaries of, about North Korea and South Korea. And these are two nations that, uh, though they share the same surname, could not be more polar opposite. North Korea embodies fear, embodies military strength and prowess that the only person allowed in is Donald Trump, Kim Jong's new, new BFF. But no one else. You can't get a visa through normal channels. You can't just, I think we'll go on holiday to North Korea. That's not an option for you. They've, it's a vault lockdown. 
South Korea on the other side is this place that is a free fall. They love tourism. They're happy-go-lucky people. They're full of life. They wear Mickey Mouse ears. They love Justin Bieber. They're just like us. It's awesome. But these two nations, one of with based with fear, one based with, with a freedom expression, if I could just draw the analogy out, there's an area right in between the two called the demilitarized zone. And it's supposed to be a neutral ground between the two nations that they share that actually you can come into this area without any political affiliation to either or. But here's the catch. The neutral ground, the demilitarized zone, which is supposed to be a, a, a political neutral area, is still controlled by North Korea. Because they say, we'll give you the neutral ground, but we'll still can't call, pull the punches. So you come in here, you put your phones at the door. If you come in here, you don't look at security guards in the eye. If you come in here, the posture is of fear and anxiety. And actually, we can only come and look through the window at what North Korea is, but you will not even get close to it. Why? Because there's no such thing as neutral, even in the natural. So much so in the kingdom of God. So I want to take that away from you this morning. Today, are you a person who's allowing your life to be dictated by faith and what God has spoken? Or are you allowing, by default even, allowing your life just to flow with the second preacher's agenda of fear? It's one or the other. Life change church, we've got to make our call. You see, let's get really practical. So often what happens in these sort of moments of, of anxiety in a nation, and, 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 and start, we start looking at the exchange rates of other nations, and we start making decisions for the children, children's sake. And we'll start having conversations about packing for Perth or, or actually looking at, you know, there might be a job opportunity on that side. Now, let me say, be very clear. Us as a leadership will never, ever lean in and, and, and tell you whether you should stay or go. That is not for us to do. What we will do is we'll ask you, what has God said? Because in the Bible, Genesis 12, the father of our faith, Abraham, it says, by faith, Abraham left the land he was to go to the land God showed him to. But his son, Isaac, in Genesis 25, it says, by faith, Isaac stayed in the land. You can go or you can stay, but I ask, will you do it by faith on the basis of what God has said? Because if you stay by fear or if you go by fear, can I tell you, the voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into positively or negatively. If you go in fear, you're not doing your children any service. You're robbing them of the future that God has spoken. So ask, what has God said in these sort of moments? You see, fear will take you somewhere where you don't want to go. We find our, our boy Joe, Jonah, full, full short, full name, short name, full name. Jonah, we find him, he's, he's running from God, and he goes down to the port of Joppa. And I can imagine Jonah sitting there going, I'm running from God, but he does what all of us do. When we, we start getting a bit nervous, we start making, we pretend we're making bartering with God. And he stands there saying, God, okay, I know you said that, but I just want to make sure. So if I close my eyes now, I open them now. If there's a ship going down to Tarshish the other way, I'll take it as your will. And guess what? Lo and behold, there was a ship going to Tarshish. And he went, Amen. I hear you, God. I'm off. Here we go. I'm out of here. Let me again, I'm taking everything away from us, so every lukewarm response system. Can we be a people who, who stop saying this, this Christian narrative? And, and I've... I've First to put my hand up, I've done this in times past, but we say, if God opens the door, then I will do this. Or if God closes the door, then I'll do this. We live with this open door, closed door reality as if, as if that's the only way God will speak to us. No, we serve a God who speaks. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
The word of the Lord comes to us. We serve a God who speaks. But so many of us are using that as a, an escape route to get out of jobs we don't like, to get out of relationships we're not happy with, to get out of every situation that doesn't suit us. We say, God, open the door. Must be Him. To soothe our conscience. When actually, what has God called you to, sir, ma'am? What, what is the agenda that God has called us to? Because I want to say there will always be an escape ship going in the opposite direction. There will always be. The enemy will always have a route. The enemy... The enemy opens many more doors than God does. Just putting that out there. I'll just lay that down and walk away. Can we be a people as an underground resistance who don't respond to external stimulus, but rather respond to an internal compass? A people who are not tossed about by the waves and the headlines of the world and situations around us, but actually a people who have a conviction and resolution inside of saying, but despite what's going on there, we're going to respond in a different level down here. This is who the underground resistance are. I want to ask you, what is making you do what you do and how you respond? Is it your circumstance? Is it your external situation? Or is it the Word of God? I'm praying for faith to rise up in us as a people at this time. Faith that the people of God, faith to speak out. Speak out against injustice. Speak out against moral uh, gray areas. Speak out against racial humor in your, in your groups. Speak out when somebody says something that offends the internal compass inside. Not just remaining silent, but speaking out. That faith would rise for us to step out. Take opportunities. Take moments. Take the, the, the mantle of leadership. Even though I don't have the position of leadership at work, I'm going to step out and take it. Faith to not only just speak out or step out, but faith also to get out. I think some of us are partnering within relationships that we're not supposed to be. We're allowing voice of negativity to rule our lives. We even, can I tell you, it sounds so basic, but even get out of Facebook groups that fuel your fear system. Let's stop setting up systems that allow the voice of the second preacher to get a loud voice in our ear. That takes faith. Faith in these moments. So I want to call us and ask us, are we right now as a people with challenges around us? Maybe in your individual life, in your work life, in the nation uh, for sure. But do you hear the chariots behind you of the enemy, or do you see the Red Sea opening up in front of you? You see, we are not the first people in this world who have faced tough times. This has been the narrative of Christianity ever since Jesus left. And even before that, the people of God have always had, always actually thrived when they were in the minority and were under persecution. We're not waiting for better days to thrive. We thrive when things get tough. The underground resistance, don't wait for situations above ground to get better before we step out. We know that actually now, now we've got all that we need to step out. This is the people of God. Can I tell you, do you hear the chariots or do you see the Red Sea? Do you hear Goliath taunting us and with destruction or do you hear him about to fall? Do you feel the fire getting warmer and warmer or do you see the fourth man getting in the fire with you? These are the narratives of Scripture. This is the story of, 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 our, of our brothers and sisters throughout the millenniums that actually the first preacher is always declaring a different narrative to the second preacher. Who will we align ourselves with? Faith or fear at this moment? And I want to say fear can only be silenced by faith. It can only be silenced by faith. There's no neutral ground. You don't work your way into faith. You make a decision for faith. And that, that, that right now, this morning, I believe God is calling sons and daughters out of the corner, women out of the corner, broken people out of the corner, people who've been marginalized out of the corner. Stop using the giving the victim, the, the victim reality power. And say, actually, I'm not going to allow that narrative to control my life. I'm a person of faith. Can we be a people, underground resistance? This thing's taking traction. Underground resistance. Can we be a people who refuse to do anything apart from the Word of God?
Thank you for that, yes, Michael. Secondly, this morning, faith or fear or the voice we listen to will determine the future we walk into. Are we hearing the voice that's calling us to be followers or fans? You see, I've been reading recently about the fastest growing church in the world. Anyone want to hear about the fastest growing church in the world? Can tell you it's a church without building, church without budgets, a church without formal leadership, and it's a church led by women. There we go. A few women are getting work out. Come on, that sounds good. And it's in a Muslim nation called Iran. It's the underground church in Iran that is rising as women are getting saved and set free by the power of Jesus, not by, not by organizations and missions, but by the Spirit of God. He's raising people to life. Women are, are becoming this resistance, this underground resistance. And you think we're facing tough times? That many of them are losing their lives on the basis of this. But they keep preaching. They keep leading people. And the stories that are coming out of, the, of Iran, which is modern-day Nineveh, by the way, those are the stories that are fueling faith. And if you hear the, you've heard the headlines that, that Islam and ISIS and the, the strong right hand of, of, of the Muslim empire is crushing the world, can I tell you that narrative is not true? The underground narrative that is real at the moment is that Islam is crumbling. They're losing their stronghold as, as the grace of Jesus Christ interfiltrates because actually the people of God always strive in the minority. They always thrive under persecution. Those, those situations there which were meant to crush them are just a seedbed for revival. This is the great news that we get to have. But actually when I read that story, something stirred in me because I realized that as the Western church, in response, I'm reading this about these Iranian women's, women's, I- Iranian women, and their responses in the Western church that we are, we are often so easily and cheaply satisfied, and we just settle for being fans. Hey, I pay my money. I come to church twice, sometimes three times a month. You know, I, I even like Jesus' Facebook page. You can do that these days, you know. I'm a, I'm a fan. But actually, Jesus was never looking for fans. He was never looking for a numerical, I just need a big crowd. He was not just doing number counting. Yay, I've got a big crowd, bigger than that guy. No, Jesus was never looking for fans. He was looking for followers. So much so that actually I always, I'm a marketing major from university, and I always used to read the gospel and say, I think Jesus would have done better with a marketer, a marketer who came alongside him. Why do I say that? I say this a bit in jest, but, but because I, I read Jesus and and there was a one guy came to follow him. And if you're all about fans, you'll do anything. Yeah, yeah, come, come, come. And the guy came to him and said, Jesus, I want to follow you anyway. If someone says that to Jesus, I'll be like, Jesus, this is a good guy. Get him in here. Give him a job. And Jesus said to him, foxes of holes, birds of nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Basic guy said, I'll follow you anyway. Jesus says, really? You might be homeless. As a marketer, I'm going, no, Jesus, Jesus, don't start with homeless. No very marked advert starts with, you might be homeless. No. Then another guy comes to him and says, Jesus, I want to follow you, but first let me go bury my mother and father. Jesus' response, let the dead bury their dead. Imagine putting that on a Christmas card. (laughs) But you come follow me. Another guy, a rich young ruler, comes up to Jesus. And this was our equivalent of a celebrity of the day. He would have been so famous in the day that people would have known, wow, that guy's, I mean, Jesus, Jesus, get the word. Rich young ruler's here, rich young ruler's here. It's like, as if, you know, these days, we, we Christians, we love a good Christian celebrity. Kanye West is a Christian now. Yeah. Justin Bieber's putting Christian tweets. Woo. And we all love Christian. We're like, almost like long, if only that celebrity got saved, then we would have true power. 
this. Has anyone ever done it? If only that guy, wow, then we'll get a foothold in the world. Jesus looks at the celebrity, comes, celebrity says, Jesus, I'm here. My brand is on the way up. Your brand is on the way up. We can merge. Let's do this thing. I'll put money behind your campaign. I'm a big deal. If I speak about you, Jesus, everyone will start following you. So Jesus, I'm ready. Are you ready? And Jesus said to him, great, man. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. I can imagine Peter and him going, Jesus, do you know who this guy is, Jesus? He's got so many Instagram followers, Jesus. No, but Jesus says, no, you sell everything, come follow me. It says the man went away sad. Jesus wasn't after cheap fans. He wants followers. So much so there was one time there was a massive crowd that gathered around Jesus. And this, this crowd just came out of nowhere, wanting to hear Jesus teach. And if there was a massive crowd that came like, around me, if I'm honest, I'll take a swig of water. That was smoothly done. I'll take a swig of water and I'll go, cool, guys, sheesh, what, what is the best sermon I've ever done? Which was the funniest one? Which was the one most relatable? Feedback, guys, feedback. Tell me, would, yeah, yeah, that was a good one. And I'll preach that one. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus with a crowd, with itching ears, come to hear him. Tell us what we, tell us, promise us things. Promise freedom from the Roman Empire. Do all those things. And Jesus gets up and says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. We can imagine, and see the crowd dispersed, muttering to themselves, is twilight still a thing? What, what does he mean by that? Why? Because Jesus was not, he's not, don't hear what I'm not saying, he wasn't trying to go out to offend, but he's not after cheap fandom. He's not cheap after your cheap allegiance waving from the sidelines. He wants your heart. The underground resistance don't just live on buoyancy on the top saying, yay, go Jesus, when it's going well, when it's tough, we fall apart. The underground resistance is, we're followers. We pick up our cross and we follow him. This is the call of a follower. And I tell you in this moment, uh, can I help us in this, in this journey? A fan is a spectator. A follower is a participator. Jonah's journey. God says go. Jonah says no. And from there, if you want to trace four chapters in 30 seconds, is that Jonah goes from the boat to the belly of a whale. That whale vomits him up. He finds himself on the beach of Nineveh again. So he goes from the boat to the belly to a burp to the beach. It's quick. Saved you guys some time for later. But don't let's not miss the essence of this thing that God gets him back. The first preacher won't let him run down the channel of the second, of the second preacher. Won't allow him to go there. He says, actually, no, I'm going to call you back to another moment of response. Maybe you've, you've turned away from the, the response. God's called you. You've kept walking away, kept walking away, kept walking away. The grace of God still pursues you and says, but will you make a decision today? By the grace of God, I believe you are here today. To hear God saying, this is another opportunity. Another opportunity for you. Though you've messed up, you can make another decision in faith. But here's the amazing thing. Jonah makes a decision in faith, but he, he cannot become a follower. He becomes this fan, sitting at a distance as revival breaks out. The Ninevites respond and they return to Jesus. But he sits apathetic at a distance, sulking, because it didn't go the way he thought it would go. When I read this, there's a scripture in the Bible, Genesis 29, 11. In most Christian circles will be familiar. Be on a coffee cup. We've read it a thousand times. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, give you hope in the future, not to harm you. And it's a beautiful promise, and I believe it, and I, I, I really I believe it with everything inside of me that this is the voice of the first preacher preaching. But what gives that verse power is its context. 
So Genesis 29, before we get to verse 11, which promises us this hope in the future, let's read it, Genesis 29, from 4 to 7, because the context is the people of God in Babylon in exile, where God had placed them. It says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those are carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You see, mustn't know, miss some things here. On the back of that, God says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and give you hope in the future. You see, the context was Babylon. These were people who had been ripped out of their homes of Jerusalem and were living in a foreign a nation called Babylon, modern-day Iraq, where actually the people were opposed to God, not just average to God. They were opposed to God, violently opposed, so much so that this is Babylon that Daniel get thrown in the lion's head for. This is Babylon that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be thrown into a fire for. This is the nation where massive idols and idolatry will be running rampage against the people of God. And God says, in that place, seek the peace and prosperity of that city. Wow, and it's so profound. It starts off by saying, the nation that I have taken you into exile to. History will tell us that Nebuchadnezzar, that actually the Babylonian uh, political power, they were were the ones who took the Israelites into captivity. But God says, no, 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 I was doing that. I was doing that. I stand above your story, and I move that actually I know the exact times and places you should live. This is not by chance, because actually the second preacher will come with fear and anxiety, but there's a first preacher who declares a different narrative. Which line will we align ourselves with? So in, in light of that, I want to land by telling us there's three postures that the church, I believe, often tends to take. The first one behind me is, is the, that of a bomb shelter. Often a church, and this is, I believe, the first two are negative responses that the church often falls into. The first one being a bomb shelter. What I mean, a bomb shelter is the people who lock the doors. Hi, everyone. Come on, get all the Christians in here. Let's, let's all gather together. Let's wait for the rapture. Let's sing Kumbaya louder and louder and louder so we don't hear the sinners out there. And every now and again, we'll get together and we'll put out a carefully worded Facebook uh, status and send it to the world so they know where we stand on that issue, the bomb shelter. Or we take the posture of a mirror where we say to the world, hey, relax, relax. We just like you guys. We just like you, man. Look, we dress the same. We watch the same Netflix shows. We listen to the same songs. We, we, we're cool. We're with it, man. Even you know, the big issues, don't stress, man. Yeah, yeah, live and let live, man. We don't want to fight about stuff. Let's all just live in harmony. You believe what you believe. And actually, you know, we're not too sure what we believe, so it's okay. And we're a miracle. We're just reflecting the culture back to itself. Both are not what the Scriptures call us to, the bomber shelter, or the mirror, the Bible actually calls us the underground resistance, not to stay underground, hiding. It says underground resistance, come above ground. Matthew 5 calls us to be a city on a hill. And if you know what a city on a hill is, a city on a hill is distinctive, but involved. A city on a hill is set apart, but has its hands dirty. This is who the church is called to be at this time, the underground resistance. You see, in 1941 to 1944, a group of scientists underground heard the headlines of the bombs, heard the headlines of the fighting, heard the headlines of the fear and the famine above ground. But they said, we're going to choose to be a part of a different narrative that will establish the future of this nation. And I want to say again, the voice that we listen to will determine the future we walk into. Because the headline of this nation right now 
is junk status, corruption, unsafe for women, racial discord, economic collapse. Those are the headlines over this nation, but I want to tell you, we as underground resistance get to, be a part, get to choose to be a part of a different narrative a different narrative about our nation, a different narrative about the city, a different narrative about what God could do. Why do I say that this morning for you and I? I'm going to ask my friend and Peter to just come on the keys because it'll help me land this moment. But we get an opportunity to be a people of faith or fear. The simplicity of this message today, the simplicity of why I believe heaven's agenda to you and I is are we going to be a people of faith or fear? Are we going to be a people who are followers or just fans? And moments of of tough moments squeeze us to a real response. And that's the blessing of God in this moment. Don't deny it. This is the blessing of God that forces the people of God to make calls on whom they will serve. Why have God such faith for you and I this morning? Why do I have such courage in our hearts? Well, I'll tell you, it's got nothing really to do with me and you. The faith of God is because there's a man named Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about this man named Jesus Christ the hero of our story. This man named Jesus Christ came and lived for 33 years, a perfect life. But then eventually, when he, he was got to the end of his life, the age of 33, a, a life that had been filled with many miracles, extraordinary miracles and profound teachings that still captivate the world. But actually, Jesus' most important act, the most important moment of his life was neither his miracles or his teachings. It was actually nothing that was in front of the crowds. His most important moment was when he was isolated and alone on the cross. When everyone else, all the fans walked away. When all the people that were responding in fear turned out of their way. And there was only one left saying, not my will, but yours be done. There's one narrative, but I choose to believe the other narrative. And Jesus went to the cross. And when he hung on the cross to die, the Bible tells us that he yelled out this line, Tetelestai, as he gave up his last breath, which means paid in full or colloquially, it is finished. And I can imagine, if I use my imagination in this moment, as he declared, it is finished and gave up his breath and died, the second preacher who had been parading a false narrative since the beginning in the garden, who had rejoiced at the destruction of humanity at the hands of sin and shame, he yelled out and saying, they've crucified their only Savior, and he's declared it himself, it is finished, it is finished indeed, they are done. Headline finished and klar. And I can imagine the second preacher parading, why? Because he did not know the moment he was standing on. But the second preacher did not know that at that very moment there was an underground resistance brewing. That Jesus, who's called the firstborn, who's called the first fruits, who's called the seed that went into the ground, the seed that was laid down, that laid his life down because he actually went into the ground and that seed that went into the ground on Sunday rose to life. And from that day forth, on that moment, he ripped out the headlines away from the enemy. The second preacher who runs on a false narrative no longer is able to declare the truth. Why? Because this, the first preacher is not dead. He's alive. And because of resurrection, he holds the keys of life and death and the keys of the power of our story in his hand. I want to tell you this morning, the courage that I have is the fact that the first preacher, because of Jesus Christ, the first preacher always, always has the final say. He always has the final say. So today, maybe the headline of your life is failure. The headline of your life is divorce. The headline of your life is retrenched. The headline of your life is anxious. The headline of your life is burdened. The headline of your life is financially ruined. The headline of your life is, is racial hatred. The headline of your life is whatever the enemy would like to declare of your life. Maybe that's the headline. I want to declare today, the first preacher says there's an underground narrative. 
Will you allow that underground narrative to become your headline? The first preacher says, will you turn your ear to faith this morning? Will you turn your ear and your heart to become a follower? Because on the back of that, the voice we listen to will determine the future we walk into. The story of Jonah finds a zenith and it's, 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 it's a culmination in the fact that when God says to him, go to the land of Nineveh, go there. And Jonah says, no, it says that Jonah hightailed it. Nineveh, which is as far on the map east as they would have known in that, in that day. Nineveh was the furthest place they would have gone. And Jonah said, I'm not going that way. I'm actually going the furthest place I know to the west, to a place called Tarshish, modern-day Spain. In that day, if you went over past Tarshish, you fell off the edge of the earth. So for Jonah in that moment to run away from the voice of faith, the voice of being a follower, in that moment to run away from what God had called him to, Jonah ran as far as the east is from the west to get away from God. Can I tell you the greatest news of all? Maybe you're here today and you feel like that. You say, I've run far from God. I've run far by my, what I've done, what I've said, what I, promises I haven't kept. I've run far. Here's the great news of the gospel. Jesus says in the Psalms, I remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. You run far, His grace runs further still. The first, second preacher declares death. He says, the first preacher's words will reach further than that and call you to life. I want to tell you today, sir, ma'am, no story is final until the first preacher declares it is. And he is still on the throne. He's still, still declaring hope and future and life for every single one of us. Will we choose to hear the chariots or see the Red Sea? Will we choose to hear the Goliath taunting us or him about to fall? Will we feel the fire getting hotter or realize that the fourth man is joining us in the fire? This is the story of the first preacher. And this is the story of the underground resistance if we pick it up in faith. Please can we stand to our feet? I feel such courage in my heart this morning to call an underground resistance above ground, deep in convictions, but going public with our faith. If you today are saying, I need to make a move from fear to faith, I need to make a move from being a fan to being a follower, I'd love you with me to raise your hands as high as you can to allow the Spirit of God to move in our hearts. Lift your hands as high as you can. Underground resistance. Responding to the first preacher, responding to Jesus' words, not responding to our external stimulus, but responding to an internal compass that calls us to life. Father, right now I declare headlines of death, headlines of shame, headlines of guilt, headlines of brokenness are broken. As the, second pre the first preacher declares, it is finished, paid in full, tetelestai. And I thank you, Father God, right now your grace washes us clean, your grace makes us whole. You run further, your grace runs further than the furthest heart. Your grace goes deeper than the most broken heart. Your grace softens the, the hardest heart and brings us to life in you. I thank you, Father God, at the deepest level possible. Spirit of the living God, awaken the language of faith. Awaken a people of faith. Awaken a people of followers, of followers of Jesus. And I thank you, Father, by the Spirit of the living God, we do this the deepest level. By the power of your word, underground resistance, come alive. Come alive. Come alive. We thank you for this, that you're rewriting a new narrative for us. We declare this, we believe it, and as we start to walk this, our nation has a different future. Our business has a different future. Our families have a different future because we believe your word. The voice that we listen to 
determines the future we walk into. Today we choose. It's your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.